So, in preparation for the sermon, I, I was thinking about false teaching and what, what it is, how it's affected me in life. And I think I remember when I first became a Christian. It was, um, it was a very personal experience, and I didn't have a church at the time. So, in the end, I ended up, when I went to uni, I ended up in a church called First Love. And although it was great because it was my first experience meeting with other believers, I found it difficult because there were so many things I was learning which were untrue or false or being taught wrongly. But in that time, I had so much pleasure in being in the church in the first place. Now, if I fast forward that a couple, I think it was a couple months over the summer, I visited a, went to, I went to a church called Hillsong for a while in Bermondsey. And it wasn't so much that there was false doctrine being preached every day, but there was a lacking in what they were teaching. Um, and I felt that being, in the, being in, the, in, the, in the crowd at the time, I felt that this could be expanded upon or maybe that verse can be used in a different context or we need to understand the context. So I think throughout my life, my early life as a Christian, it very much really showed me um, how false doctrine can come about from anywhere. And I didn't really have a holding in understanding what false doctrine was and where it may come from. I, I just believed everything I heard in a, in a, in a sense. But I was, became more cautious as the Holy Spirit guided me and led me towards him. So today we're reading, we're going through Second John, where we're looking at false teaching as it transcribes to the church that uh, John was writing this letter to. And the first point that I'm looking at today is that those who deny the deity of Christ are the Antichrist, or better written, the, those who deny Jesus as God are the Antichrist. And I'll just read verse 7 again, where it says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. The word for deceiver used here is a Greek word, word planoi, I believe, which is to mean imposter or misleader, someone who teaches a false truth or misguides you by teaching something which is false, yet claiming it to be true. And I'm reminded of a game that was released in 2018. It was called Among Us. Um, in the game, you have people on a spaceship, or like a crew of people. I don't, know how many, I don't remember how many people it was. But out of all those people, there's one imposter, or multiple imposters, but at least one imposter. Now, the goal of the imposter is to go across the whole ship and to kill off other crew members. Now, if a body is discovered or an emergency alarm is rang out, then the crew members discuss who the imposter is. Now, the imposter's job is to prove to the crew members that he, he or she is not the imposter. So it's like this back and forth that they, that they have throughout the chat, the voice chat. And in the end, the imposter wins if they kill everyone and get away with it. Or the crew wins if they get rid of the imposter in the early rounds. So this is a game that I, I played for a while. It's very similar to, I think it's a game called Mafia, which I haven't played before, and Werewolves. But it's, it's like an online version of it. And this is what the imposter is here. It's someone who claims to be of Christ, yet they deceive others by telling lies. We're told that this, these deceivers did not confess that Christ came in the flesh. 
and those who, who don't confess this truth are the Antichrist. Why is John so concerned about these false teachers and what does it mean that they didn't confess that the coming of Christ was in the flesh? First and foremost, what we're reading here it seems to be of doctrinal importance to, to, to John and the, to the church. In, ver- in the last six verses, verses one to six, we've been taught that we're taught what the truth is. Uh, and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we may abide in the truth of Jesus. Now, this has led us to ultimately understand that we must abide in the truth of Jesus and we must also abide in him by walking in the truth and living in a manner pleasing to him. So this passage firstly teaches us the importance of truth and then moving forward, we're alerted to the false teaching that is coming and why we shouldn't fellowship with false teachers, which gives us the key reason why John may have written this to that, to that church. And I'll read this. And this is, we should love God, love one another, in truth, because deceivers have gone out into the world teaching false doctrine. We should not fellowship with these deceivers as we will lose our full reward and take part in their wicked works. I'm led to believe that when John writes, many, fo- many false teachers have gone out into the world, he means those who have left the church yet are still claiming to be Christians, who are still claiming to be believers. And we can see this parallelism in 1 John 2, 18 to 19, where it says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard it, heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they are not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. Where we are reminded that the Antichrists have come out of the church, we're reminded that they're not truly believers. So, look at another warning that was given to us by Jesus. Matthew 7.15 gives us the warning of false teachers and what their purpose was. Uh, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. In Matthew, in Matthew Jesus warns us about those false prophets who would come claiming that they bring the truth. But these aren't people that bring the truth. These are people full of lies and deceit about the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we may find it difficult to know that they're false prophets if we're just to look at their outward appearance. For they, what it says here, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. If we're looking outwardly, we can look to someone and say they, we can trust them. We can look at someone even today and they say that they're Christian. If without, without concern, we'll be like, yes, they're a Christian and trust what they might say if we didn't know what they were saying. So what does Jesus tell us to look at? To look at their fruits to look at them inwardly, to see what they produce. And 
this is the key thing here. This is why John has taken us through the truth and what the truth is. Because if we don't understand the truth, then we won't be able to recognize what is good fruit or bad fruit. We'll just take it as is. So we need to understand, do these prophets live a life that is under the commandments given to us by God? Or are they living a life that is under their own truth, something that they've created for themselves? Which is a fallacy, to be fair, because... There's no such thing as your own truth. There's only one truth, and we're told that this is Christ. So we need to understand what is given to us in Scripture, that there is this one truth that we're living by. So this is how we as believers test the spirits, which is a term given to us in 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit so that you t- to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world but by this, you know, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So we must know the truth to be discerning of the truth and ask God to give us a spirit of discernment to know what is true preaching, what is false preaching. This is what helps us distinguish between the two. And we shouldn't really take everything that we hear from the pulpit or from friends or from family or from a stage somewhere to be true just because the person claims to be a believer. In fact, we should test everything that we are taught, test everything that we hear, for false doctrine does surround us and we really should be living living our lives in a way that takes in information but also goes through the scriptures to see if it's true. And I think there's a, I'm reminded of the Bereans in um, Acts, where they would take in the teaching and go then forth to study it, study it. Um, and this is the method that they would use to know what is true and false doctrine. So picture this. Those of us have people who we've once fellowshiped with, whether it's in this church or other churches. And those people who we once were with and lived together and fellowshiped together, enjoying the truth of God, they may have left the church or they may have uh, decided to go to another church. And one thing we have to understand is that this person may then have decided to preach a different truth to what is in the Bible. This is what John is pointing to us here, that there are those who have come out and are preaching a false doctrine. Those who deny the deity of Christ, those who deny that Jesus is God. This is very much the image of what is happening. And the term given, given to us here is, false te- is the Antichrist for these false teachers. And... The term Antichrist can bring up some imagery of the end times and someone that is battling against God, a demon. Uh, But to simplify it for today, I'll I'll just say that an Antichrist is someone who opposes the teachings of Jesus Christ. Someone who doesn't accept what has been given to us through the word. And as John, John writes here, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh... Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So that's the definition we'll be looking at today. And what is meant by this 
Those who deny Jesus came in the flesh. What, what is meant by that term? Well, I, I believe to, it to have meant that they denied that Jesus came as God. They, they proclaimed that Jesus only came in the human form, that he was merely a man, but he had no deity in him. And this is false teaching. This, this isn't true, for we know that Jesus has come into the flesh, as we read in Philippians. First John 14 reads, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, in which we can see God the Son become flesh to be with us on the, new earth, on the earth. Now, now, we must understand that in this process of Christ becoming flesh, he didn't lose he didn't stop being God. He didn't lose his deity. Rather, he is now 100% man and 100% God. And this may be confusing because there's nothing that is 200%. But in Christ, he is both man and he is both God. This doctrine is called the hypostatic union. And um, just to describe it a bit, it describes the union between the two natures of Jesus. Now, Jesus had two complete natures. His humanity and his divinity. So he's fully human and he's fully man. Sorry, I said that twice. He's fully human and he's fully divine. These are the two natures united in Jesus. They are without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. And this is stated in the Chalcedonian Creed. We must recognize that Christ emptied himself. He humbled himself to take on the human form Becoming a, servant to, becoming a servant to be born in the likeness of men so that he could die for our sins and live a life on earth sinless. And maybe thinking, what is the importance of Christ becoming a man? Why couldn't he just be God? What, what is the importance of having a savior who dies on the cross, who is both God and man? And it is Christ becoming flesh that allows him to be able to die for our sins on the cross. This is where God can't die, so he wouldn't have been able to die for our sins on that cross. But in order to bear the wrath of God on that cross, he had to be fully God as well as fully man. So it is only this that allows us to be able to receive the, receive the, the freedom from sin and the devil and the incoming wrath of God. This is the only thing that allows us to be able to live our lives as Christians, that Christ had died for us so that we may live eternally with him. And that exchange is where it's the propitiation for our sins. That is the exchange that took place where Christ became what was needed, the needed sacrifice for us. Now, it can be difficult to describe this, these two natures of Christ uniting. But I can tell you some things that were believed which aren't true. The first one is Jesus is not God. So it, you can look at Jesus and many people say Jesus is not God. And this is a false teaching. This is something that's not true. So this isn't what we're talking about today when we talk about the hypostatic union. The another one uh, is called Docetism, which says Jesus is not human, but only appears to be human. And then there is Arianism, which says that Jesus is not fully God. And then there's another false teaching which says 
Jesus is not fully human. And then lastly, another one is that Jesus is two persons. But we must understand that Christ is one person with two distinct natures. It's not two people. It's not that he's half a God. It's not that he's not a human. This is Christ and this is difficult for us to understand. So if we look at verses 7 and verses 9 in 2 John, it says here, such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And then it continues in verse 9, which says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ Jesus does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Ultimately, those who deny the teaching that Jesus is God are the Antichrist, as the gravity of denying that Jesus is God is a heavy one. As, denying, as you deny this, you deny his nature and all the works that he has done. For if he was not fully God and fully man, he couldn't have done what he had done on the cross. So one who denies these truths is truly the Antichrist. Now John makes it clear to us in 1 John 4.2, which says, The one that does not abide in these teachings does not have God. However, however if they were to say that they did, they would be lying. For it, it, it is through knowing Christ that we know the Father, which is in John 14.6, where he says, No one comes to the Father except through me. So it is only those who abide in the teachings of Christ that truly know God the Father and God the Son. Now, I want to end this point on the hypostatic union and um, Christ being God, fully God and fully man by a quote from a song called Hypostatic Union by a rapper called Shailen. And it reads like this. Our topic of discussion is beyond human comprehension. The infinite God has made a supercondensation, the kind of entrance no body can have, could have anticipated. Precipitated by the evil we participated in through Adam and Eve, our first kin. Cursed when they committed the first sin. Only if you have the Holy Spirit's antennas can you truly understand fallen man's dilemma. See, only a human can substitute for human lives. But only God can take the wrath of God and survive. See, the humanly unsolvable obstacle, with God all is plausible, nothing's impossible. True haters will find, fight it, but the story is certain. Two natures united in one glorious person, Jesus the God-man. So in this song, it really is clear about just talk about this nature of Christ and who he is. And it, 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 is, it does have more verses. So if you do want to go listen to it, I can send it to you, if anything. Um, and this song has helped me understand this doctrine a lot better. Um, and this is what helped me come to this point of understanding it. But it is still a mystery, and we can't truly explain how these two natures are together. But following on from that, we have to be clear of this false doctrine and... Why is it important that we don't fellowship with false teachers? Why is it important that we know what is true and what is false? And which brings me to my second point, which is do not fellowship with the Antichrist. Now, we shouldn't fellowship with false teachers or the Antichrist. Whilst context points, while context points to 
though not fellowshipping with those who deny Christ came in the flesh. And, and to believe that there's a great application to not fellowship with those who teach false doctrine, for it ultimately ends in denying Christ in the flesh. Watch yourself, verse 8 reads, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch yourselves here, meaning take guard or beware or be like see, like beware what is coming. Uh, make sure you know what is coming. And John warns the church about the false teachers and to be vigilant and watchful of the false teachers who deny that Christ has come in the flesh. Now, this is to be watchful of all the teaching that we're getting and all the spiritual truths or untruths that we're being given and passing them through the lens of scripture. And if we don't do this, we will fall to, we will fall into false teaching. However, by abiding in the truth and by living in a manner pleasing to God, we have all the necessary tools that we need to test the spirits and truly be like the Bereans, as I said earlier, to truly read God's word and to respond to false teaching appropriately. Now, the truth being emphasized here is that false teaching has already gone out into the world. It's already here. And even today, it's here. False teaching is alive and well. And what we have to understand is that many so-called Christians who deny that the teachings of Christ and deny that, that Christ has come in the flesh are the ones who teach false doctrine, are the ones who we will come across in our day-to-day lives. And they will be very, they'll, they'll come to us in a way that is very deceiving. We can trust them. They'll make it seem like they can, we can trust them, that they're good people, but they're fleshed in this way. Now, I've come across some teachers online who have said that as Christ came into this earth, he laid aside his deity, which is what they would get from second, from Philippians 2, verse 7. But this isn't what this verse is teaching. It's not teaching that Christ stopped becoming God. It's teaching that Christ humbled himself so that he can take on human flesh. And this is where a lot of people may misunderstand what scripture is saying and spin it into their own truth. And I know some of these false teachers do this to say that we do miracles through the Holy Spirit uh, as Christ was merely a man empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's always trying to create a doctrine that serves self and serves man instead of serving God so that we can glorify God and look to him. Now, what I've found is that truth and doctrine no longer matter in this climate. That there's many churches that you may go to that don't preach on, on Christ being fully God and fully man. Rather, they would rather pump you up, but not teach you what is essential to, to understand and live your Christian faith. Now, there's many religions that are clearly false, that aren't necessarily deceitful, but because we know that they're false. If you look at Judaism, they, they deny that Christ is a Messiah. If you look at Islam, they say that Christ was a prophet of God, but he wasn't incarnate. He wasn't God himself. We have Mormons, Hebrew Israelites, um, the New Apostolic Reformation, and progressive Christianity, which is quite recent as well, in the world, which all spread mistruths about Jesus Christ. They all come in a way that is deceiving and it's easy to get trapped up in this because it is deceiving. Now, I want to be clear that all of these groups, but not 
solely limited to these groups have false teaching and are the Antichrist. These deceitful groups live, in essence, to lead us astray from what is the true teaching of Christ, what is the true teaching of God. And lastly, I want to remind us, as I reminded myself writing this, that I'm sure that there are some people who are a part of these groups or claim to be a Christian, yet live a life that does not confess that Christ has come in the flesh. These people may be friends, family, co-workers, anyone who claims that Christ has not come in the flesh is the Antichrist. And I find this a difficult pill to swallow myself because it's hard to imagine that those you love are the Antichrist, that those you love are the enemies of God. But if, should they deny the deity of Christ, they are enemies of God. And in verse 9 here, it says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. So these are people who don't have God. And I want to encourage us here today that we should pray for these people. We should pray for them that God may be able to change their hearts so that they may know him truly, that they may experience a life with him. Now, knowing that they're enemies of God should frighten us a bit because we should love them enough to want them to know God. We should love them enough to want them to know the truth. And this is very important um, because in our lives, we, we must understand that those who are friends of the world are enemies of, with God, and those who are friends of God are enemies of the world. So we can't live both paths. And I've, I've found myself in my life trying to live both paths, trying to have really close non-Christian friends and really close Christian friends, but it's, it's almost impossible because one will lead you astray from the other. So we, we must be careful in this. And this is why we're reminded not to fellowship with false teachers. Now, we must understand the importance of the truth given to us here. And we must be of God because the false teaching is everywhere around us. Every single step we take and everywhere we go, there is false teaching. There's a different worldview from the one that we as Christians know from the Bible. And these things will always try to influence the way that we walk or the way we live our lives. So we, we must be careful. We must watch ourselves. Now, John says, if we just go back to the reading, it says in verse 8, Watch yourself so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now, to believe when John says lose what we have worked for, he's referring to the work that the church has done through Christ. This is the spreading of the gospel, evangelism, building the church up and growing in truth. Now, these are all things done through Christ, but have, have enabled us to progress the truth out. So we don't want to lose this by falling into false teaching because false teaching will then lead us in a path that is different from proclaiming the truth. We'll be undoing the work that has been already done. And this is what the warning is here. But then he also then says, he also then says, but may win a full reward. And it's easy to then think, okay, to win a full reward, this must be pointing to salvation. But I want to say that it doesn't point to salvation because this is a work. If we're losing what we have worked for, this is a work. So it can't be salvation before salvation is a gift from God. So we, we, this isn't what this verse is talking about. But what I, I may believe that it's talking about is talking about the rewards that we get in heaven. Second Corinthians 5.10 reads, 
For many, mu- for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due, what for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now you can see that we get a reward for what we have done in our lives as Christians. So this is a saved Christian who will get a reward in heaven for what they have done on this earth, good and bad, for they will be judged. So we must watch out for false doctrines so that we do not lose this full reward. Lastly, how, how do we ensure that we aren't ensnared by false teaching? And we do this by not fellowshipping with the Antichrist. Verse 10 to 13 reads, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your Alexis to greet you. When we come across those who do not abide in the teachings of Jesus Christ, we must not receive them into our house or give them any greeting. At the time this letter was written, hospitality was really important, welcoming people into your home, aiding them in their, in their mission and what they're doing, um, evangelists, aiding them in the way that they should go. Now, this prohibition has been given to us to regarding false teachers who do not confess the basics given to us here, that Jesus Christ is Lord. It doesn't extend to those who we may disagree with on secondary or tertiary minor matters. Surely we can fellowship with them. Like, it's not about whether or not you should wear jeans to church or wear a suit to church. This is solely about those who deny that Christ is God and teach false doctrine. Now, when, when we are with these people that teach false doctrine, we must remember that they cause disruption within the church. They cause disruption between the body. That as they teach false doctrine, they're causing rife and they're dividing the church. So this is why we shouldn't fellowship with them, for they are disruptive to us and who we are. And in, instead, we, sh- we should not offer aid, and nor should we offer fellowship with them, as I, as I said there. We're warned that whoever takes part and greets the false teacher takes part in their, work, in their wicked works. So this is like a, a guilty by association, that if you are fellowshipping with a, a false teacher, you're taking part in approving what they are teaching, saying, and doing. So we should be careful not to extend our hand out to the Antichrist. Rather, we should extend our hand out to those who are true Christians and true believers so that we may grow together. And I'll come to that point. Now, we do not want to take part of spreading heresy. And I think one image I was given here was that many, many times I've seen on the internet is that there may be a big Christian conference going on. And let's say one teacher decides to go to the same conference that a known false teacher is going to, that this one teacher then gets called a false teacher because they're, in, they're going to the same conference. And although that teacher may not proclaim that, that what the false teacher was teaching was true, they will be associated together. And I've seen this, and although it may not always be true, they're always seen as a heretic. And it's quite interesting because this is what is taking on here, that you're supporting. You're looked as being a part of their work. So essentially, you are guilty by that association. 
So we mustn't take part of the wicked works that, that um, the false teachers teach, but only we should proclaim the truth that we've been taught through the gospel. Now we should stand and proclaim the gospel in truth. That when false teaching is brought about, that we should then rebuttal with Christ and the Holy Spirit guiding us in peace and in love and in truth. Now, there is a warning that I do want to give. And that's, um, that's from, um, from, I'm trying to remember now. Um, there is a warning, and that is we shouldn't necessarily cast our, cast our pearls amongst the swine. And, and in saying this, I'm saying that when we are brought against false teachers, they are those who will scoff at us. They are those who will tarnish the truth of the gospel. But we shouldn't necessarily be trying to preach the gospel to them. Rather, we should turn away, as Jesus said. And rather, we should go back to proclaim the truth with an open heart, with peace in our hearts, knowing that they are listening to us and listening to the word of God and not scoffing at it. I think this is the the contrast that we're given, that we're not just going out there to shout that this is truth and be combative with other false teachers, but rather we want to proclaim the truth in a manner that is pleasing unto God. So we don't want to also take part of this divisive nature, but we want to be Christ-like in what we do. So there's, there's um, some application that I'll give. And um, h- how do we apply these two truths that we've been given and what practice practical steps can we take away firstly we need to pray we need to thank god for our salvation and if we are not saved we need to pray that we may be saved and turn turn away from our sin and repent we should thank him for the truth and the opportunity to be obedient to him the opportunity to fellowship with other believers and fellowship with him and the holy spirit prayer is so important to us because it's the way that we can communicate with god and and ask anything of him. It's the time that we can spend with him that isn't spent reading our word. We can ask him to give us strength. We can ask him to give us discernment in noticing what is truth and what is false. So we must truly pray. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing is to consider those around us. We must consider if we have any antichrist in our lives and also pray for them. Whether they may be friends, family, acquaintances, people on social media, people at work. Through the strength given to us by God and through the discernment given given to us by God, we should not be found fellowshipping with these false teachers or reposting what what, what they've posted, but rather we should preach the truth of the gospel. And this is what what this, this verses have been telling us, that it is very much important to know the truth that we may be able to stay away from false teaching and all types of false teaching. So this, this is what John has led us through. And we've somewhat completed our look through Second John. Um, in John, give, John. In John, he has given us a reminder to love one another and love God. And it is through this that we'll be safeguarded from false teaching, which has come and will divide us as the body of believers. I pray that this truth may be encouraging towards us and that we may look at it, whether it's this week, next week, or a couple months down the line, that when we are faced across with false teaching, that we do remember this truth, the truth of loving, loving God and loving one another. 
Um, I found myself, I've previously struggled with this, um, and I have fellowshiped in some sense with false teachers in the past, being a part of churches that taught false doctrine. And um, I, in, I didn't rely on the hospitality of believers. I didn't rely on God. I chose to rely on self, try to argue my way out with them, trying to prove that I'm right in what the word of God is in that moment, but rather I should have relied on a true body of believers to pray with me and for me and pray for those who were teaching that false doctrine. Now, lastly, in verses 12 to 13, um, we're reminded that John had much to write but wishes not to waste paper and ink. I hope to come to, you face to, come to talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your Alexis to greet you. The last thing I want to leave you with is that we must fellowship and gather with each other. That coming to church on Sunday or going to the midweek fellowships is not something that we do solely out of obligation, but it is something that we do to truly experience the joy given to us as believers. For we have all been saved and adopted into the family of Christ, so we want to experience a full joy together. And these are the moments that we can experience that, when we get the opportunity to pray with each, pray together and pray for each other. So let us look forward to those moments because it is what God has given us. And I, I'll end this here. Um, I, I, did, I do want to read the Chalcedonian Creed for you. Um, as, we go, as we went over the hypostatic union, I think it will be good to take this um, home with us and think about it and meditate on it. And um, yeah, let, let me just read it. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess, confess one and the same Son, our Lord, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a, res- of a reasonable, rational soul and body, consubstantial, coessential, with the Father, according to the Godhead and consubstantial with us according to, to the manhood. In all, things, in all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father, according to the, to the Godhead and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the, man, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusably, fusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and con- concurring in one person with and one substance not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him. And the Lord Christ Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of our Holy Fathers has been handed down to us. And uh, I just pray that uh, if you do come across this creed and you get a chance to read it, that you, you meditate on what it says about the two natures of Christ and 
the importance of the teenagers of Christ as it, as it is quite important to us.